Okay, hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Transaction. I am your host, Paul Hadfield, and with me today is Caleb Avery from Tilled, who I'm very excited to have. And uh, Caleb, for those who don't know you and don't know Tilled, give us the quick high-level overview. Sure. So I'm Caleb Avery. I'm the founder and CEO here at Tilled. I've got a little over 10 years experience in the payment space. And back in January 2019, I had this idea for what became Payfac as a service. And so at Tilled, we exist to help ISVs and vertical software companies monetize the payments that are flowing through their platform. And we do that through a turnkey white labeled uh, set of APIs that these software companies can integrate into and then allow them to monetize all of the payments flowing through their platform. Fantastic. So talk a little bit about what a Payfac is um and you know which is which is a short for payment facilitator and if you know those of you listening if you're in the payments business you've heard the term and i think a lot of people think they know what it is but we're talking to an expert here so tell us exactly what a payfac is sure so you, you kind of touched on the the first point that i always like to make sure people actually know that payfac is short for for payment facilitation but Really, when I think about one of the, the key differences between the PayFAC and the, the traditional ISO model, it comes down to the card brand rules and regulations. So Visa, MasterCard, Discover established the guidelines for what it takes for a small business owner to be able to accept card payments at their business. And under the traditional ISO model, each merchant is getting their own merchant ID number, and that involves a, a very thorough vetting process for each of those customers, whereas under the PayFAC model, which you know, Stripe, Square, Braintree, PayPal are probably some of the more notable, notable PayFacts. They have created this concept of the master merchant, submerchant relationship. And under that master merchant, submerchant relationship, the PayFac goes through a very extensive vetting process themselves to get registered with the banks, the acquirers, the card brands, so that they can create this streamlined digital boarding experience for their customers. And that's particularly powerful in software-led payments where you want to enable that frictionless boarding experience for your customers to have that instant digital sign-up process that the PayFAC model is so well-known for. Yeah. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. So you're when you're bringing on a new client, um, essentially when they're boarding, you're not really, because you're PayFAC, you're not really doing any underwriting on that client per se. And the which might bring an inherent amount of risk, but I would assume you're closely monitoring that business once they're starting to process transactions. So the the underwriting is a bit more on the back end once you're seeing sales come through, right? I mean, that is that fair to say? Uh, yes and no. So at Till, there's really uh, a couple parts to our underwriting process. One, we actually spend a decent amount of time underwriting the software platform itself. And so, you know, typically we're spending, you know, one to three weeks going through and underwriting the software platform to understand, you know, what types of merchants are, are you bringing to the table? What MCC codes? What's the average ticket on a transaction for the individual merchants? How much volume do they typically process on a monthly basis? And if you have historical processing information, we love to look at that data to see, you know, are there a lot of returns? Are there a lot of chargebacks? What does the risk look like? on that portfolio, because for us, the goal is to create that instant digital boarding process for the submergents. And so we're still doing real-time underwriting on those accounts where you know that small business owner is filling out 
the digital application with Tilled, and we're doing real-time KYC, KYB, bank verification, credit checks. And so there's still a lot happening. It's just done via APIs and it's all automated. And so it's not a you know print, sign, and scan PDF process that you email in and somebody else is having to key it in. It's all, it's all digitized. And so we're able to create this real-time experience, but there's still a lot of monitoring that happens, you know, behind the scenes to manage, you know, the risk appropriately on the back end as well. Makes sense. So you start, how long ago did you start in the payments business? So I started my, my first company uh, at 19 years old uh, when I was in college. So I started going door to door, selling payments to, to small business owners. Uh, definitely look back on those days, you know, pretty fondly. And we scaled that business up over time and then started getting brought in on consulting opportunities for software companies. And so that consulting experience is really where I saw the opportunity, you know, for Tilled, where I was working with these companies and they were all really struggling to figure out how to monetize their payments. A lot of them were working with Stripe or Braintree and just passing along the 2.9% and 30 cents from Stripe or Braintree onto their customers. And so, you know, you get a dental software company coming to you with hundreds of millions of dollars in payments volume, but zero dollars in payments revenue. And yep. so that was the like fundamental problem, you know, that they were looking to solve. Um, and after a while felt like there was an opportunity to, to go create a, a better solution for these guys. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, this could be a totally separate podcast. I started in the payments business when I was 20 doing the same thing door to door, brick and mortar, selling payments, selling what, what year were, were, did you start in? 2012. 2012. Okay. So I was a little before that. So kind of like still in the terminal days. And um, I assume like a kind of a, were you pretty like price focused payment? Um, so yes and no. I mean, I think the reality is for merchants, price is always important. Everybody okay. wants to save money, but I think there were two big fundamental changes in the industry that really enabled us to, to scale the way that we did. One was the EMV liability shift where every merchant needed a new terminal. And so you'd yep. go in and why don't you call your you know current processor and see how much they want to charge you or if they're going to try and lease you, you know, this terminal. And there were some crazy deals back then where people sure. were trying to charge, you know, fifteen hundred dollars uh, for two hundred dollar equipment or you know, fifty, eighty, a hundred dollars a month. Uh, for this equipment, we were giving it away for free. Yeah. Uh, and then the second was the Amex Op Blue transition. And yeah. so a lot of processors just auto en enrolled all of their merchants into Amex Op Blue and doubled their margin, or sometimes more than doubled, <laughs> you yeah. know, their margin. And so that created, uh, you know, pretty significant opportunity for us to come in and have a conversation with business owners that was really different from, uh, you know, a lot of the people that had walked in over the years before. Makes sense. Yeah, I think um, the the you know the traditional brick and mortar um, you know payments business has certainly uh, from the early two thousands up until now has really gone a long way and it's become so much more technology focused in terms of integrated payments and software and point of sale and you know shifting businesses to uh, systems that can connect every moving part of their business as opposed to just here's a new machine, right? Here's a lower <laughs> fee. Um, so it's become much more complicated. And, you know, my company, we've been riding that wave of just continuously trying to lead that path forward. But, you know, what's super intriguing about what you did is you were going down that path and you said, well, wait a minute, here's a new opportunity in 
e-commerce world and the software world to help these business monetize their payments. What was like, was there like a moment, was there a big unlock for you where you saw that opportunity and jumped on it? Or was it really just a series of, of things that culminated to that point? Um, so there were, there were definitely a series of, of consulting experiences that, that kind of led to a lot of the, the learnings, but there was one particular experience working with a, a company doing a billion dollars a year, uh, in payments where they were, they were dead set on becoming a payback. They were convinced that that was, you know, the right decision mm -hmm. for them. They, they just felt like they, they couldn't accomplish, you know, what they wanted to under the, the ISO model and their customers were frustrated you know, with that experience. And I spent a couple of months helping them really understand like what that actually meant <laughs> for them to, to go become a registered payback. But I also spent a lot of time just learning more about the payment facilitator model and the benefits, you know, that it had enabling the disruptors like the stripes and the squares and the brain trees of the world to achieve the level of scale that they did. And that experience really drove home the fact that the payment facilitator model is fantastic and has a ton of advantages uh, for those that are able to take advantage of it. But it also drove home a pretty important second point that most vertical software companies have no business actually operating at just as a registered payback themselves. And so the 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 kind of uh, difference between those two uh, viewpoints really drove me crazy for for a few months. And after a while, I felt like there was an opportunity to go in and build a business that could bridge that gap and allow more software companies to leverage the benefits of the payment facilitator model without actually having to go through the regulatory and compliance process of becoming a payback themselves. I love that. Yeah, and and I uh, I definitely applaud you for you know even when you first started in the payments business, your approach is definitely value driven. And then it sounds like you found a way to bring even more value, which exactly what we try to do. And I, I respect that, especially in a business where uh, our industry is typically just known for price and cost um, and sometimes doesn't always have the best reputation because of that. And so it's music to my ears to hear that it's it's all value driven. How can I help my clients succeed? How can I help these businesses succeed? So hats off to you for that. And Thank you. speaking of businesses, so people that listen to our show, we have um, a lot of business owners um, and a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, you're somebody that's obviously been an entrepreneur for a long time and has scaled businesses and um, uh, is continuing to do so. What advice would you have for other people that are kind of early on in the stage, whether they have an idea they're thinking about, or they just started a business and they're really trying to get off the ground? What, what advice do you have for those folks? So I think something that's, that's really critical and often overlooked is that you have to find a sustainable pace to work. Uh, and so, you know, when you look at the, the average time that it takes a software company to exit, it's something like nine years uh, that it takes the average business to exit. And so, you know, founder burnout, entrepreneur burnout is a real problem, especially in the early days when you're either a solo, you know, preneur, you've got a team of two or three people, and there's so many things, you know, that you need to do and want to do, and you're passionate about, you know, the business that you're building. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs, and I think, frankly, myself included, in the early days can fall into this trap of just overworking uh, yourself and like not recognizing that this really is a marathon, <laughs> you know, that you're building. It's, you you know, most businesses are not a, hey, let's six month sprint to go sell this company, but you have to find that sustainable pace that you can really maintain uh, and maintain your effectiveness over a long period of time to see that scale and see that success in the business. 
So smart. I, I love that. I think there's a, a, there's this feeling as an entrepreneur, you know, you're, you're, there's always work to be done. Always. You're never at a point where you're like, oh, I got all my work done. There's always <laughs> work as an entrepreneur and to stop yourself from working. And that's a challenge that I have too, which is you can easily drive yourself into the ground. And if you don't take that time to back up and remove yourself from the situation, you know, I'll give you a great example. I was out of town last week at my sister's wedding. I was gone for five days. Um, I'm not normally gone for five days. And during that time, I had some of the best ideas and thoughts because I'm not at work. I'm out of the office. I'm taking time off. And so, you know, I think people need to force themselves to start taking a step back and realizing, hey, this is actually going to make me more productive if I'm not working around the clock, right? On the flip side, it also does take an incredible amount of work. You're, there's no way you're working nine to five right now, Caleb. Like that's not happening. Not a chance. <laughs> but you have to also recognize when your work is becoming not productive because of the amount of grind you're putting in. It's it's definitely a grind. I mean, build, building any business is a challenge, but you have to have that like conscious focus and that conscious thought that like, I have to sustain, you know, whatever pace this is for a long period of time and like recognize the signs of like, yeah, I've been sitting here staring at my computer screen for an hour and I've not really done anything. I need to, I need to get yes. up. I need to go take a walk uh, yeah. because I'm not actually being productive. I'm in the right. office, I'm working, you know, but I'm not actually getting, getting work done right now. I, I, yeah, I struggle with that too. Where it's like, you know what, I'm going to get that done tonight. Cause I didn't get it done during the day. And it's like 10 o'clock, you're trying to get something done. And you realize I can get this done in five minutes tomorrow morning. I'm just tired. Like I actually just <laughs> stop working and go to bed. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's end with this. Give me your predictions on where things are moving in the payments business, in the software world, in the e-commerce world over the next, say, five, 10 plus years. So over the next five, 10 years, you know, one of the, the trends that, that I've been predicting for, for a while here is this idea that software-led payments is increasingly going to eat into the traditional uh, payments ecosystem. I, I gave a, a talk a couple of months ago talking about the death of the ISO, and it was a little bit facetious. I mean, I, I think the reality is it's more of an opportunity for agents and ISOs to, to become you know, more forward-thinking and really take advantage of this trend that's happening but the reality is when you look at the, the SMB uh, you know, payments world, increasingly small business owners are getting access to credit card processing through an integrated payment solution that's providing substantially more value for their business than just the agent walking in with a VX520 terminal you know, to sit on their desk. And I, I truly believe that over the next five to 10 years, you'll see that software-led side of the payments ecosystem really representing the dominant majority of how small business owners are, are getting access to, to credit card processing. Awesome. Caleb, it was awesome having you on. Congrats on all your success and everything you have going on with Tilled. And for people that want to follow Tilled and follow you, where's the best place they can find you online and on, on social? So website is always a good place to start. Uh, so Tilled.com, T-I-L-L-E-D. And then in terms of social media, LinkedIn is really the best place uh, to follow me and to follow Tilled. Uh, as well. We do have a Twitter, we do have uh, an Instagram, but LinkedIn, uh, following me, Caleb Avery or Tilled is, is certainly the best place to stay up to date on the latest and greatest things here at Tilled. But Paul, really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. This was great. Awesome. And likewise, and we'll keep, uh, we'll, we'll keep exchanging likes and comments on social media in the meantime, <laughs> until we can uh, see each other in person. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Man.